Before we get started, just a quick note about something you hear at the end of the show. In the credits, I mentioned that Nate Schweber does the music. And don't worry, he still does. But I wanted to tell you that he's got a new album out. It's called Gaps, and it's available for download or in handy CD format. And I invite you to check out nateschweber.bandcamp.com to listen to snippets and to add it to your musical collection. Thanks for supporting independent musicians. And now, here's that familiar Nate tune to get us started. I'm John Hall. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. This week marks the year that this show has been on the air, and it's been one for the ages, and hopefully one in the larger scheme of things that we won't replicate again. Onward to the good things, the happier times, and strong health. A year ago, I was in Belgium in a barrel room and kicked off the show with Matt Brendelson of Firestone Walker. You might remember that we spent a lot of time talking about foam. This year, to mark a full calendar being tossed away, I have J.C. Tatro of Trillium on the show, and we spend a lot of time talking about F-words, farming, fans, the future, festivals, and yes, foam. J.C. has packed a lot into the eight years his brewery has been open. He's helped establish beer styles, he's had tremendous growth, has been the subject of intense scrutiny where he's had to defend the brewery and its reputation, and throughout it all, he's been tinkering and making moves and adapting and trying to keep his thoughts on his passions and actually what brought him into beer in the first place. We'll talk about all of that. Sadly, there's no Barry White, but J.C. did speak to me from his basement, so that's close at least. And I started off by asking him about the big topic that's been on everyone's mind for the better part of 2020. Here's our conversation. How's your pandemic going? Um, probably about, it's, honestly, it's probably better than most people. Um, we, we've, you know, we've got the, we have, I've got good family support um, with the success of Trillium and kind of like, you know, we've built up enough of a cushion to, to withstand things. We're not, we weren't sort of like right on the edge of, of solvency when this thing hit and it just kind of knocked a whole bunch of folks over the edge. And, um, we, uh, we were able to kind of make some quick business changes and, and, um, kind of see our way to the other side of this, if, you know, if, and when there is another side. So, uh, you know, I, I, everybody's got their own levels of stress and and own levels of responsibility around what's going on, uh, with COVID and the current business and world environment. But, um, you kind of have to take a step back and look into the context of what our fellow humans are also going through. So I will always kind of throw the caveat into the, into the answer is like, we're doing pretty good. And I'm very aware of that. Early on, you guys did, you know, to, to use the early pandemic term of pivot and you, you did close down some of your locations and you started doing delivery and you started doing all of the things that brewers needed to do to you know, stay top of mind, to keep cash coming in while keeping everybody safe. You had A teams and B teams uh, working in your uh, in your facilities, um, you know, to prevent from infections spreading. Knowing now or, or, or where we are right now, is there something that you know now that you wish you could go back and tell your March self to get ready for uh anytime that we've been through the something uh extremely stressful i i i i wish i could tell myself that this isn't this isn't as bad as it appears to be you you and your team are going to figure out a way through this and 
um, and it will be stronger and you know, smarter and closer and more resilient. Um, so I just wish I would figure out a way to save myself uh, the, the the stress that I, I put myself and I'm sure I kind of uh, I'm kind of wearing it on my face a lot too and kind of sharing that stress with others. I wish I could figure out a way to not do that both to myself and the people around me. Um, that said, I you know what people told me that you know Esther and I showed strong leadership. We um, we figured out a way to kind of uh, rally the team and and kind of let them do what they do really well, and we kind of really cohesively formed a, a a path forward in the best that we could with the resources that we have, with the team that we have, um, with the culture that we've built and the trust that our customers have having us and, um, and kind of reacted to it the best we could. I think, I think that we probably wouldn't have been as fatalistic about the tra- trajectory that we thought the government was going to put us under. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, all the signals that we were getting from the government at the time were we were going to have to close our doors. Um, and being a you know, manufacturer, being in a production environment, closing your doors means kind of everything that any, anything that was in process is now, you know, that literally down the drain. Right. So we were very So we basically stopped making beer. Um, we didn't, we didn't just like pull our foot off the pedal. We just like, we just stopped and we started packaging everything that was in process. And then we weren't making any new beer, which was exactly the wrong thing to do at that moment. In yeah. Time. You were sitting there with empty tanks. Yeah. Yep. Um, right at the same moment, um, you know, actually the timing was working out well for when we would plan to actually shut down and like that, that was, tra- the trajectory was playing out. We were told, um, you know, bring your, bring your, uh, tap rooms and restaurants to, uh, 50% occupancy. Mm-hmm. And then less than 24 hours later, government, ba- governor Baker said close. So we thought, okay, the next thing is, you know, any non-essential business closed, which he, he did say that yeah. uh, for some reason, uh, alcohol manufacturers were, were deemed an essential business. And, you know, everybody was kind of <laughs> like to the argument was, of nobody listening to yeah, this yeah, show yeah. right now. Yeah. yeah. I think everybody was kind of going through the, the weird emotional thing. It was like being called an essential thing or not, you know? Yeah. Um, so that aside, we were, we were okay to continue to operate in the government's eyes, but, both Esther and I were like, well, should we, even though we're okay to operate, should we continue to operate? So we were, I don't know, like I said, it was kind of day to day at that point. And we, um, you know, we were expecting to either want to close the business because of um, the the risk to our team, our team members, um, or the government was going to make us, you know? So we, one of those two scenarios was going to play us. We stopped making beer and we're kind of just packaging and kind of preparing to wind things down and just kind of go into a hibernation mode. And we also kind of in parallel said, well, I think we'll, we would all feel safe if our team members were um, practicing all the things that we practice now. And we were doing curbside, con- truly contactless delivery. So we started to do that. And then we just saw a demand absolutely skyrocket. So I think in May, we sold the most beer that we ever sold um, via curbside than we had sold in our existence in a given month, you know? So wow. it was, 
it was uh we kind of had to quickly do an about face and just started making you know basically the, the started making the capacity level amount of the, of our facility in, in shaman when when you say something like that where you have you know a great month and you're seeing people coming through the door I, I i've been talking with a lot of brewers about and owners about stress levels and how it seems like for the last eight months, we've all collectively, I think as, 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 as individuals and as a group, have been just you know, clenching ourselves very tightly. And everybody is feeling uh, enormous pressure, enormous stress. When you have moments like that, are you permitting yourself to relax just a little bit to sort of see a glimmer of hope for the long term and... So yeah, I mean, Esther and I have a have a good partnership in that way. When when one of us is feeling the weight of the world and like, oh my God, my kids or my family or, um, you know, what does our team feel safe? Do they feel like you know? Are they feeling the stress? Is there anything that we could or should be doing better so they're not they're not upset? Um, and you start to spiral. You start to not you know keep waking up at at one in the morning, three in the morning, five, you know, just keep doing that to yourself. Yeah. Um, the other, you know, Esther helps to pick me up and I do the same for her. And we never, <laughs> for some reason, we never to be, we're never sort of going down the hole <laughs> at the same time together. So that's important. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it kind of works in a, um, in a great partnership sort of way. So, and, and that's not to say that, um, uh, you know, we don't, we don't struggle with that with one another. It's kind of this funny thing. It's like, what are you, you know, what do you, come on, let's go get up. Let's, let's, let's tackle this thing. Um, you know, we, we kind of go through some of that, but you know, I, I, uh, like I said, my, my biggest, uh, my biggest kind of wish for a redo on this stuff is to not be so stressed about it myself. Cause I, I do know, the negative impact that can have on others. And what about the rest of your team as well? I mean, you guys have been put through the ringer at various points in, in, in your existence and your team is sort of, you know, accustomed to, you know, having a target on them at, at some point and the stresses that come with that. Has, yeah. Have there been, like, how is, how is COVID impacted, you know, the Trillium family, I'll, I'll use that word, you know, uh, through all of this, because you guys have been through things together. Like, do you, do you know each other's stressors and tells and have the ability to sort of help everybody move forward in a, in a meaningful way? Like, I'm just thinking about mental health right now and, and, and the stressors that everybody has. Yeah. As you should. I think, um, I think the, you know, the kind of universal nature that everybody has about about health um, is is a relatively new phenomenon, or at least a kind of not really in our generation or you know the hundred year storm kind of feeling. We haven't really had that. Uh, usually, when somebody's going through a health concern, it's it's um, it, it, they've got other people to kind of shoulders to to kind of cry on a little bit. Now it's everybody kind of walking around, and in the days it's a different. It's a different feeling. So, I think that our generally our team, um, which we kind of you know, w- with the different kind of operations that we had to run, we we had to reduce, we had to reduce our team dramatically in order to kind of you know reconfigure to our new operational model. We we uh, we just Esther and I decided a long time ago that we wanted to move Trillium from from the idea of growing to just a 
and I don't say just because it's, it's something that other people, you know, it's a path they pursue, but we didn't want to be just a production brewery and kind of just do the thing that you read about and kind of how, how a typical growth tra- trajectory looks like for breweries and, and kind of growing volume and going into, into a new market and signing on a new wholesaler and start sending beer out to California and growing in that way. Yeah. We, um, we wanted to kind of grow the hospitality component and really that's how we, we saw ourselves um, evolving and we just made that decision a while ago after we kind of get our legs under us with the kind of the ability to grow the volume, uh, produce the volumes that we needed to out of the, out of the Canton facility. Um, so the vast majority of our revenue comes from, came from past tense, I guess, um, our on-premise locations, which, which are four, you know, there's four spots yeah. that people come to, which are now, as of yesterday, those are all closed. And, and it's not just, oh, I, I don't get to go to Trillium to have a beer anymore. That's four locations that had uh, four separate teams and the set of managers that, you know, oversaw that whole thing and and facilities and like all, all the infrastructure that comes along with that we know last year at, at our peak during the middle of the summer you know, we're close to 300 people and now we are uh one sixth of that yeah so um you know with kind of like the with the, with the team kind of shrinking like that um and you know I, i'm working on the packaging line i am in the warehouse cleaning up cleaning up grain I am brewing. Um, I'm going out and doing deliveries with team members. And it's like, I think that the, 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 whatever it takes mentality and the, this is, we're doing that this not just for today, but so that we can, when it's, t- when it's time and it's safe for everybody to come back, um, there'll be a company here for them waiting and welcome them back with, with open arms and finally hug again, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think uh, a lot of a lot of folks are going through this, and I think that uh, I think our team has um, we've been very good at making sure we we allow for the the, the difficult days and kind of asking everybody, you know, what do you need right now? Yeah, um, we have uh, we have a service that we've um, we've we've employed to kind of you know knowing that there, there's just personal things that people are going through right now. So we have a service that can help them, whether it's a, a mental health issue, whether it's a family health thing financial matter, whatever it might be that they can get help from. That's not like your manager. You know, sometimes you just don't feel comfortable opening up to a coworker or your manager or whatever it might be. Yeah. You don't want to get painted in a certain light down nope. the road. Yeah. Yeah. So we were, you know, we try to think about, you know, what, if I was, if I was in somebody else's shoes going through a really rough spot, what could we do? So and even for the folks that we, we did have to, to furlough recovering their, you know, talk about health recovering their health insurance 100 percent um until we can get them back so yeah we're, we're doing what we can but at the same time there, there has to be a company to come back to so you mentioned two things that i i think are related that i'm, I'm sort of curious about that you know you had four places or you still do um although not all of them are open but early on you mentioned you know that when COVID first hit, you know, that, that you weren't necessarily on uh, the edge of collapse or overextended and that you had a nice cushion. And I'm curious as to how you have approached growth over the, over the years that you've been open over the, the, it's, it's about eight years now, right? 
Um, uh, yeah, it was seven this past March. So yeah. about seven and a half or so. So I, I'm I'm curious as to you know, how you manage the growth because there are people who you know hit a huge winning streak like you have and they overextend themselves they do start sending to california or they take on you know huge product uh projects um and then they find their you know debt ratio is out of control and they yeah. go away um yeah. and where you're living and working uh and and, and operating is it's not necessarily in the inexpensive part of the country so i'm, I'm curious as to how you've approached the growth and like when it makes sense for you to do something new or to bring sure. on some of these new projects. Yeah. I mean, Esther and I don't have like, we don't have a, we don't have anybody to answer to, but, but our, but ourselves, you know, we, we don't have any investors saying, you know, I need, I need to see 40, 50, 60% return on my capital. And then there's that press, that stress, and then, you know, when you're, you're stretching and you're stretching and you're like, all right, double down, double down, double down. It's not what we do. It's not what we ever wanted to do. Um, some of our, our growth has largely been, been dictated by the experience that we want to be able to provide to our customers um, who, who come visit us. So I, <laughs> I remember, you know, when we were talking about, you know, the, the Fort Point location and we finally got presented with this opportunity and the size of it and relative to all the other places we looked at. because so we really wanted to stay in our home in Fort Point. And we were looking at of the other spaces. It's a small little sub little tiny little part of Southie of Boston. So we, you know, this, we probably looked at 15 different locations of the places that were actually available. Right. So mm -hmm. over the last, you know, over the last four or five years and they all felt too small. And we, we knew that we, we had a, a pretty incredible following of this, incredible passion not just from like beer nerds but from people in the neighborhood and all over boston all over the suburbs it's incredible people coming to see us from all over the place so thinking about opening a place that was reasonable and like you know a pretty big size like 150 200 seats in fort point and we we're just like looking at each other like this is going to be it's going to be shitty for for people that come visit us it's just going to be packed all the time it's going to suck so we ended up at the place right now is it swells to 500 seats in the summertime and all the real estate people and all the restauranters or like our little restaurateurs are looking at us like we're insane. Like we're like, we've, we're, we're, <laughs> we're just crazy. Cause it's, that's way too big. Nobody could do that. Yeah. But we had the, we had the understanding that in order for us to provide the kind of experience and we're going to get that kind of response, you don't want it there to be like a three hour wait. That's not, Lines aren't cool. They're not, certainly not durable anyway. So <laughs> they're just not cool. So we opened up a place that, and you know, by the book was stupid. It was way too big, but we kind of, you know, we kind of took the signal that we were getting from, um, from our fans, from our customers, from the neighborhood, that that was the right thing to do. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of look at opportunities as they come along, and if they fit for us, and they fit for our team, and they fit for our customers, and it feels right, and it feels special, uh, then that's something that we're we're gonna do. And we we kind of we're just we kind of gut check ourselves all the time, and you know, just, just, is this still fun? Does this feel doable? Does our is our team um, having a good time? Is it is it something for them to grow into? Is it is this too much of a stretch? 
just, you know, you kind of just have those open conversations with ourselves and with the management team. And there's no, there's no like, oh, here's the financial goal. We must earn this much by, you know, in, in our, in our year. Of course, we've got financial covenants that we need to make. Um, we need to hit with our, uh, with our bank, you know, because we have, we have traditional bank loans. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no like financial goal for us to make a certain amount of money. Um, it's really about kind of executing the, 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 to the best of our ability, the, the, the goal and the vision that we have for hospitality. And that's, and that's um, always going to be a, uh, a work in progress as we, t- you know, take the time and over the course of our lifetimes to realize the vision for the New England farmhouse brewery. Uh, and what that exactly means is something as yet to be realized. And we're working on that every day, but that's not something that happens overnight either. And I mean, it, these new places that you've had or that, that, that you've opened or, you know, that you've moved into, um, I guess, you know, some people think of, you know, once a brewery gets into a space, unless they have to move out for larger purposes, um, that that's going to be a, a, a permanent home. But it almost sounds like to me that you guys are, you know, that it's almost like nothing is sacred. Um, and I mean that in a good way of, you know, if this just isn't working out or this just doesn't feel right, that you could change the plans and do something else or at some point, something someplace else. Sure. Yeah. I mean, well, the, you know, the two spots that we have, or I guess the three spots in Boston that we have, I wish we could, we could have bought them or, you know, be owners or part of them or whatever that might be. But that's just not the kind of, that's not the area of the country that we live in. It's right. not, they, these, these properties are not for sale. They're owned by, uh, large groups that own multiple properties as part of a collection and a part of like a pension plan, kind of those kind of, those kinds of places, you know? <laughs> so unfortunately they're also the kinds of places that are not interested in working with you in the times of a pandemic to reduce their rent either. So to the degree that we can have a reasonable, good partnership um, over the life, life of the lease, that is something that we are very committed to, but, since we're not owners, we also can't be married to a location either. Right. And, you know, if you would have said uh, 10 years ago, you know, if you can kind of go into your way back machine, imagine what the beer world was 10 years ago to today. And now uh, zip forward another 10 years. Imagine what it's going to be then. I, I'm sure you almost can't imagine what the beer world is going to be. Um, so... I think some of that flexibility that we have and kind of the, the constant evolution of what Trillium is going to be in the context of the beer world of, of hospitality and frankly, <laughs> rising sea levels in Fort Point Channel in, in Boston. So yeah. I, I hope that there's uh, the, I hope that there's still sea levels that will allow uh, seawater to not be coming down into, um, into the top room in 10 years. But I don't know that that's, that's true. When you were getting ready to open, I was going back through some notes uh, and some interviews that I did with you back in, in 2011, and you were talking about your vision for, quote, new American craft, that that's what you wanted to be doing. Hmm. And I'm curious as to how that relates to what you were just saying about you know perfecting or finding a groove with the New England Farmhouse Brewery. Have... have has the trajectory changed in your mind? Are those one and the same? Uh, so to be fair, 
And I think um, you'd probably say this about yourself, knowing you a little bit, John. I was wildly naive <laughs> in 2011. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, it's like a totally different world. Just uh, just nine years ago, when I was when I was thinking about, it. I think a, a lot of the concepts and a lot of the romance that I that I that I had in 2011 and even well before that, that's still a large part of my makeup. Um, I think the path to getting to that uh, kind of that new American craft beer concept or the New England farmhouse uh, brewery concept has taken a different path and a different road and is actually a lot shorter than what I originally thought was possible. I thought, I thought maybe in like, you know, 20, 30, 40 years towards the end of my uh, tenure here and whatever I was going to be doing in my productive years, maybe we'd be then kind of figuring out how to find a, a piece of land to start farming and actually start to realize it for ourselves. Um, I had no idea that uh, the kinds of hobby beers that we, that we were going to be making at that point um, would turn into at least some some level of contribution that Chilean has had on the broader beer world and in, in, in these hazy or New England IPAs. Uh, so, no, I couldn't. I definitely didn't envision that path. Didn't understand the the impact that that was all going to have and and our own trajectory to kind of realizing that path. But I don't, I don't think a lot of people today are super familiar with what our goals are in that regard. And, you know, why did we, why did we buy a farm? Why, why did we even care about that sort of stuff? Right. Um, you know, we, we've, we've got our spontaneous program um, that's about four and a half years going now. And we're just about to start packaging those. And I'm super excited about that direction and kind of the, the realizing um, re- realizing the romantic notion of what a New England farmhouse, true New England farmhouse beer could be um, in, our, in our own expression of that. It takes, takes kind of a, a, you know, for the aspirational goals that we have related to Chilean, it's, it feels like it's probably going to take a lifetime to, to get there. I mean, it's it's sort of interesting. I in in this profile that I wrote of the brewery uh, back in 2012, uh, I was talking about the flower, the trillium, uh, uh, and how it can take seven or so years for it to bear its first bloom. And you know, it seems like you sort of beat those odds and expectations. But now that you're headed into to, to year eight, um, are you now sort of realizing, you know, what you want the the brewery to be going forward i think that i think that the steps ahead of us um again this year notwithstanding i think the steps ahead of us are so much clearer and so much easier now than they were in the early in the early couple of years i mean it was really like <laughs> i still remember i i i, I put in an, a credit application for an american express because i was going to be able to get uh, $10,000 of credit with no interest, no payments for 12 months. And no bank was talking to me at that time. And, you know, craft brewery. Yeah. Okay. What's your experience? None. Okay. No. <laughs> Hang up the phone. So, um, you know, everything was just such a complete struggle. I was getting up at four in the morning. I'd, I'd get some work done for my regular job. And then I'd go to like, I'd be in the home Depot parking lot at six o'clock to pick up some fucking tubing or whatever and go to the brewery do i try to install it as fast as i could and then 
oh shit, I got to go to my, go to my other, my other job that's paying for all of this. And <laughs> you know, everything was such a total struggle. Everything was so, it was, everything was so rigged, you know, everything was, you know, you, you put, you know, it, it was, it was really crappy. It was really bad. It was very difficult. Um, and we thought a lot about, you know, is this even worth it? That's like the thought that's in your head all the time when you're just killing yourselves. It's like, is this even worth it? What are we doing here? Um, I don't is have that present don't tense have... or future tense. Though? No, 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 that that's that's not that's that's not that's what I was experiencing in the early days, and I don't I don't have that feeling anymore. I have, um, I have just this incredible hope and optimism for what we're for where we're going as a team and what we're and the kind of incredible pride for the opportunities that we're able to provide to our team members or you know come up with an idea and there's really no next to no limitations about what we're able to do creatively with our beers and how we're then going to be applying that to the kind of agriculture and the kind of hospitality the kind of food and the kind of spaces and experiences that we're able to provide to people and that's that's sort of like, those are the goals. It's not the money goals. It's like, those are the goals of what we want to be able to do. So where does the farm that you've purchased fit into all this? Yeah. I mean, it's really kind of the, that's the, everything flows, everything kind of conceptually flows through, <clears throat> flows through agriculture and, and, <clears throat> and, and the farm. So um, the North Stonyson location where our 163 acre farm is located has uh just completed its well next week will be the last uh, last harvest for the year um and that 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 is kind of the kind of that that's really the the heart of everything that we want to be able to do of course of course beer and uh and food is everything kind of flows and stems through the agricultural world and um any any good chef or any kind of brewer will tell you that you're only as good as the ingredients that you have that you're working with, uh, working with. And I think that as I started to to study and learn more about agriculture and the the uh, inextric inextricable link between the world around us and the environment and the quality of the food and the health of the food um, and the practices that a farmer executes they're all tied together so um i i don't want to say that we're going to be kind of we're you know i, I john we talked we talked a couple times i got these crazy aspirations i really just want to be able to serve as a model for what others can learn from um and we, i'm happy to do stoked to do tons of hard work and then say everybody come we come here check us out carve this little you know, take best practices of what we've built here and, and carve that little out, that little niche out in your part of the world and replicate that because it's good for you. It's good for your team. It's good for the earth that you're going to be growing in. And it's going to make the best possible ingredients for the best possible beers and food and hospitality. And um, that that is something I get very excited about. That's That's the stuff that's not really, you can't really commoditize that. You can't really take that stuff and you know scale it and sell it to a vc and do an ipo take a public and get a bunch of people that are rich even richer yeah. that's the that's that stuff's really exciting to me to build communities around this in a way that feels that feels not only just feels good it feels right it's intuitive and it's just it's just better for everybody in, in every possible way 
I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to you about IPA uh, because when people look back and you're saying it's impossible to go back 10 years and say what it would be like 10 years from now because even going back through some of my books from the time and articles at the time, I couldn't imagine COVID aside 2020 looking this way in the beer space as I did uh, at you know the beginning of 2010. And so much of... You know the New England style, hazy, juicy, whatever that the country has become enamored with. People look to you for guidance on that. And I remember some of the early days of visiting the brewery and seeing like a centrifuge, and you guys, you know, like putting you know not only uh, creative spins on it, but also you know technical know-how and trying to find ways to make the beer, uh, you know, stand head and shoulders above the others. And, and I'm curious now that you're a couple of years into this style and considered a leader of this style, how much of the innovation, how much of the creativity, how much of the pushing your you know self forward in all of this is coming from you and your team versus what you're hearing from drinkers and what drinkers might want? Um. I actually haven't I haven't checked Untapped or Beer Advocate or Rape Beer in years, and I that is a very freeing thing for me <laughs> because I'll bet. yeah I don't know I don't know if you feel this way about the internet but man it's it's a rough place out there so yeah I don't spend a lot um, of time on there yeah 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 so we we do our best to listen to our directly our customers who are nice enough to send us messages whether they're nice or not um, and. You know, just try to be open and honest with ourselves. You know, what, but, but what to is that the, point, is, though, I imagine people yeah. reaching out to you directly versus, you know, some anonymous, you know, idiot in his basement uh, spouting out off after a couple of beers on a, you know, a large forum. You know, that personal connection of somebody taking the time to actually write to you means a lot more than bottle caps or. Well, yeah. 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 I mean, I try to remain a little agnostic to it, right? Because, like, if you try to, if you're too. If you get too, of course, I'm personally invested, right? If you get too personally invested with like the, you know, you're going to get pissed at the dude who's writing up um, notes on Untapped that are, you know, objectively false. Yeah. If you got to get worked up about that, then you're 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 spinning your wheels. You're spending a lot of energy on something that is, um, it's not getting you or your team or your customers anywhere. So. And that's not to say I, I haven't I haven't spun my wheels in the past on those things, um, but I feel is not the best aggregator of good information for us. Our, our best our best methodologies are to listen to our who are our actual customers, and to broaden um, broaden the in, input from our our whole team. Instead of ha- instead of having a smaller circle, you know, just by nature of our team being really small earlier versus um on the larger side today mm-hmm. uh you know make it a process that is democratic make it a, make it a process that is open uh, for, uh has a has a, a mechanism for open discussion as well as an anonymized way to submit submit information and jc gets one vote and brewer x gets one vote and seller seller person y gets another vote and it's not it's not just me saying Yes, this is good. I don't care what anybody else says. Move forward with it. That's not how we how we do things. Yeah. So, what 
sort of things rise to the level when you start hearing from folks of, okay, maybe we should look into that. Is is there an example of something that's happened? I don't know. In the um, last year to whatever that has. Yeah, sort I mean, of, yeah. I, th- I think that there's part of what I think is really interesting about these beers is there um, an ephemeral may not be the right word, right? I think they're they're just they have they have a lifespan, and you can look at that as a positive thing or a negative thing, or just just acknowledge that that is that is uh, the nature of these kinds of beers. And I think that by and large, customers, not just of beer, but anything really, whether you're buying uh, a Samsung TV or a magazine or something, everybody expects the thing that they buy to be static. They think it's, it's fixed in a moment in time and it should not change from the day that you order it to the day it arrives at your home or you go pick it up in the store to the time you decide to take it out of your take it out of the box you know it just it just is a thing and that is not the nature of 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 these kinds of beers more so than lots of other kinds of beers so um and then obviously the other notion that tastes is very subjective some people absolutely love our beers and they want us to package them, quote unquote, green. They want that edge to it. They like that bite. They like the, you know, the the super green hoppiness that it's like, you know, sucking on a hot pellet. I'm not a huge fan of that, um, <laughs> but some people are. So we, we're kind of constantly torn between the notion that we should be, you know, we should provide that full range. We should package it on the earlier side. We should get it to, into people's hands. When it has that, and if they don't like that, then well, then they can just kind of hang out and just wait, you know. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, by and large, the you know, customers are they want the thing that they want, and the, the part of the problem with these kinds of beers, they're not a static thing, they constantly change, even when stored in the best possible conditions. So when you when you kind of take that assumption as true and somebody buys something and then they they tried it one time before and they happened to try uh vicinity double ipa and at, at their buddy's house and it was four and a half weeks old at that point and they they just loved it and then they come buy it from us the day we, they, that we package it uh it's going to be a different beer and they get very upset so it, it's sort of a difficult conversation to have on an individual basis around those kinds of things so i, I think we struggle with that mostly and it's it's sort of how do you how do you narrow that bell curve of how much they change and should we even be trying to do that versus just educating people um on on that there is even a a bell curve exists what about the visual you tell me you tell me john what should i do (laughs) i I don't know i just drink lagers um um, but the visual aesthetics of of this as well. I know you've been sort of toying around with that, with some, with this style. I'm trying to uh, lead you into the foam conversation as best I can, but I, oh, okay. you, you've, yeah, been, yeah, you've been messing yeah. around with foam quite a bit. And, you know, it, it, it's sort of amazing to me where, you know, Instagram is filled with, you know, people drinking New England style. And that is something that is usually largely missing from the beers. You know, there's just no like we're seeing a lot of Sierra celebration photos right now 
and you know a lot of them have this you know really nice rocky head of foam and it, it just sort of looks like a classic beer as opposed to you know sometimes a glass of pulpy orange juice or you know hazy oat water or whatever and i'm not saying that mm-hmm. in a disparaging way but it, it's the visual cues of something that of, of two styles that share the same three letters is striking to me at, at, at times but but you think about foam well i think about everything all the time okay <laughs> but foam is certainly one of those things we um i think that the uh, kind of the original impulses that we had from early were uh, were correct and they're still in place now. But as we tick off the things that we're looking to improve on, I think foam is something that we are, uh, we're not where I want to be necessarily. So where would you say you are and where do you say you want to be? Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you the, I'm not going to give you the specifics, John. <laughs> I think that I would, I would like to see, um, I would think I would like to see uh, just an improvement from where we are now. Because I, I think that that's all you could ever ask of yourself. You don't want to say like, I want to reach this this milestone, right? Because um, there's no such thing as perfection. So you just want to continue to improve from where you are today. I think that we want to see better in an improvement as a qualifier. And as that changes, and, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to be obtuse about it. But we, we do have um, quantitative measures for those kinds of things as well. Um, as we nerd out on all things, you know, you, there's there's actually uh, specific specific tests and measures. Yeah, there's science do. behind this. Yes, and always, of course, right. So um, we can quantitatively measure whether or not something that we've done or not done uh, or have stopped doing has made a quantitative improvement on what we're doing. I think one of the things that we struggle with is that there, there, there's, um, there's a little bit of plastic surgery in the, in some parts of the beer world mm-hmm. as it comes to foam. So there's, there's some, um, there's some addition, there's basically additives that you can put in there that it's sort of a surefire recipe for making incredible, like kind of like, you know, Pinup like, girl you know, level, whipped, yeah. <laughs> Pinup girl level of these insane, uh, you know, white meringue, white, you know, these just in, impossible uh, head formation and retention and lacing and stickiness and all those things that just aren't real. So it actually creates uh, an expectation for from folks that what they're looking at is what's is what's possible with beer ingredients. So. Which we know is not the case, but it's not something that we are going to say we don't use those head formation additives. And I'm not I'm not accusing the larger beer world of doing that either. I know I just know that there are yeah um, there are some uh, very specific examples of those that kind of creates that expectation that that is even possible with with only beer ingredients. So as in, you're in the best possible practices. So as you're moving forward with your you know, foam ambi- ambitions. You're not trying to, you know, use this plastic surgery. It's the term you used, but like, you know, no, no, you no. We, yeah, with... we don't. We don't use any of those kinds of added additives. We don't use any, you know, quote unquote natural flavors, which I think is like the most ridiculous thing <laughs> that people. Oh my god, there's so many beers that use those those flavors that I just. I have a I have a personal tough time with it. I'm not I'm not sitting in judgment of others that 
enjoy them or like them. I just, for us, I don't know. Just, it sounds it, like you are just a little bit, but that's, yeah. <laughs> it just does not sit right with me. So like that, that is, um, that's, that's why Trillium has never put out a maple beer. You just, you cannot get, you cannot get maple flavor from using maple syrup in a beer. So what's an example of an ingredient that you've used where a very little bit has gone a long way for flavor? Oh, um, I mean, on a, you know, total weight per or total quantity or volume per, per barrel, it's probably vanilla. You know, you can use, you can use a half a pound of vanilla, uh, per barrel and get just unbelievable flavor and aroma in, te- in some texture. And it changes the existing flavors and aromas in a way that, um, I think by weight is, is, is hard to match really. I'm running low on time with you, I know, but I, I'm I'm curious about to sort of bring this back to where we started. When you have all of these locations and you're used to the beer fans coming and lining up and, and, and getting beer to go, but also where you were in Boston proper, you were probably getting a lot of tourists and, and folks who were coming through for the first time or um, you know, people bringing you know, their friends, you know, beer people bringing their friends and introducing them to, you know, your food and your beer and your your uh, brand of hospitality. With that gone, at least temporarily, how are you trying to reach new fans? How are you trying to bring new people into the fold? Because you know, the, you know, craft is pretty strong with its fan base, but you know, for real growth, you you're going to need new people to to come by. How how have you been doing that outreach? Since yeah, we, we've 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 kind of we've never had a, like a strategy. We're going to get this. We're going to get this demographic. We're going to capture this, and we're going to see a thirty-two percent increase in you know uh, females aged thirty-five to sixty-five. We're like we've never done stuff like that. You know, it's just all been an organic process, um, and that's it's still the case. We just don't have. We just don't have like those tools on a tuba anymore where we can make a place and people can come visit it. And you just can't do that. So it's a hard thing. I mean, we, over the past summer, we've been doing, you know, uh, we did like a couple, you know, zoom tastings and, you know, things limited, you know, 40 people and that kind of thing. But man, it's just, it's tough. We're just, we just rely on word of mouth still. It's kind of like the original approach that we, we that we started with and, and people sharing things um you know we're, we're we're still trying to do as much as we possibly can with some of the philanthropic things but even those options are limited we're you know we were we did a 5k in the in the spring a virtual 5k in the spring we're doing another one um in a few days here and you know we get a thousand people to sign up for that which is pretty cool and they're you know it's a lot of fun people from across the across the country we had committed to sending some beer out to some, some of our friends, um, uh, in the, you know, the Paul from Cloudwater in the UK and we mm-hmm. sent some down to, uh, to, to Joss in, in New Zealand, uh, that should be landing soon. And, um, you know, but those are things that we had planned before all this had happened. So I don't know, man, it's like, <laughs> we don't, we don't really have, like I said, we don't really, we never had lived in that world or tried to, we try, we don't have like a growth plan necessarily. We just, but w- but know. without those physical locations, yeah, because you know, that would happen organically. You know, people would just yeah, you know, 
hear word of mouth or read a review or, or whatever. And they'd have a, you know, an excuse to go. And without that, I was just sort of curious if there was a, it's, I, I mean, it's, I, I don't mean to give you a non-answer, but man, it's like, we don't, I don't know that there really is much. There's really not many options right now. I mean, it's, I mean, you're a beer drinker, John. Doesn't it suck to be just only drink, drinking beer at home? Yes. And like have that, that idea and that possibility is like, Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. It's going to be like back in the lockdown moments. And we're going to, I'm going to call up my uh, group of friends. And we're going to do like a zoom happy hour. Fuck. Yeah, I know. Dude. I'm, I'm trying to teach my daughter how to be a proper bartender, but all she's really good <laughs> at is cutting me off. Um, <laughs> future wise though. And, and you're no stranger to both attending and, and hosting festivals. What does that future look like where we sit uh, right now? Do you, do you think we'll even be able to do beer festivals in 2021? Would you do a beer festival in 2021? I don't, I don't see those happening. Or at least I don't feel comfortable attending one. I'm, I'm, I'm not traveling anymore until we're, we get onto the, whatever it looks like to, to be the other side of this. And hopefully that's in a, um, and so hopefully in a community vaccination world where this this is kind of settled back to a back hopefully at at worst a background level of you know a handful of cases yeah um so i don't really see an adapted festival world i see going back to what we were doing before and and, and in a, an evolved process that we that we had before i don't i don't I'm still optimistic and that there is going to be a return to uh, to what it, what the world was before this was going on. Well, I think as 2020 has taught us, it's don't count on it happening until it actually happens. But yeah. 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 Thanks for sitting down and talking on the show, the the one year anniversary show. It's uh, it's good to good to hear your voice and, and, and good to chat with you. Cheers, John. Miss you, buddy. That's JC Tatro of Trillium Brewing. We touched on it in our conversation, but some things are worth repeating. This has been an extraordinary year filled with too many stresses to count. And it's important to your health and to those around you to check in with yourself and others to make sure everyone is okay. You don't have to go through all of this alone. There are folks who support you and want to see you do okay. And so that we all come out on the other side of this together. Please don't forget that. And don't be afraid to speak up if something's bothering you. I certainly don't do the show alone. It's been great to be with all of you every week, every Wednesday without fail since we started. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Thanks for your support, for the notes, for the ideas, and the conversation. Let's keep it going. You can become a part of the This Week in Roush Beer Facebook page. You can email me at johnhall at beeredge.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L. Or you can get with me on Twitter at john underscore hall. If you remember, please leave a review of this show where you listen, and don't forget to subscribe to the Beer Edge podcast hosted by Andy Crouch. Steal This Beer, the show that I do every Monday with Augie Carton, Justin Kennedy, and Brian Cass, and to subscribe to the BYO Nano podcast, which comes out on the 15th of every month. Yes, it's a lot of podcasts. You can help out Nate Schweber, who does our music, by visiting nateschweber.bandcamp.com, and you can download his new album called Gaps, and you can give a virtual high five to Jeff Quinn, who designed our logo. It's a year in the books with many more to go. Thanks again for being a part of this, and please take care of yourself. I'm John Hall, and I'll be back again on these airwaves next week to drink beer and to think beer, and I hope you'll join me.